When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. We have been uh, asking for your recipes using Marmite outside of just chucking it on uh, a bit of bread uh, with some cheese and some and some potato crisps like uh, like Izzy does. Uh, so keep those rolling through. Double eight, double three. Lots of people going on Marmite and banana on toast. You have to give that a nudge. We'll have to try it. Chris Foy might have a take on this. So here's the head rugby writer out of the Daily Mail in the UK. Chris, how do you have your marmite? Well, do you know what? I just had some the other week for the first time in ages. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw it somewhere. I thought oh, I fancy a bit of that, and it's I don't know. It's all right. I just have it on toast. No, no, no uh, great revolutionary uh, plan for what to do with it, but. Uh, but the rest of my family think it's absolutely disgusting and they're horrified, but uh, I don't mind it. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, uh, thank you. thanks for chipping in there. Uh, about as disgusting and horrified as Zach Mercer is about Steve Borthwick's England squad? <laughs> yeah, I interviewed him about a month ago and uh, he, he was very much looking forward to having half a chance of getting his way in there and I mean, the guy has come back from France where he was sort of lord and master of all he surveyed. He, he went over and played for Montpellier, tore the place up. They loved him. He won player of the season. Montpellier won the league. Everyone thought he was amazing. He came back and everyone just thought he would ride straight into the England squad, probably straight into the England team. And it's just not worked out. It's just not gone at all to plan for him. So ditched out of the World Cup training squad. Had to sit and watch the tournament. Got injured early after joining Gloucester. Gloucester down the bot near the bottom of the league. He's not playing. Finally gets fit again and still not wanted by Steve Borthwick. So yeah, I I can understand he's a bit grumpy and he's very sort of slightly throwing the toys out of the pram. But you know, not good luck to him. I, I don't mind that. He's uh, he's a bit fed up and he said his piece, so that's fine. What what is the reasoning behind that uh, admission there, Chris? Because I've watched him when he played for the Barbarians. And under Chris uh, Razor Ray Robinson and very talented, but is there is it a personal grievance from? I, I don't so much think it's personal, although Steve Borthwick's going to want his play his team to play in a certain way. You know, every coach every coach is going to set up with a slightly different balance, and England wants someone with a bit more punch at eight. Mm. I think part of it is that the team he was playing in when he did so well at Montpellier. I mean. <laughs> Their pack is absolutely monstrous. So he could just sort of tuck in behind these huge other forwards they had. And they were doing the grunt work up the middle, allowing him to sort of hang around that in the wide open spaces and, and, and run around and show off his pace, show off his skills. He's incredible out in those wide channels. But England, I think, wants someone to sort of go through the guts of the opposition a bit as well. And, I mean, it's, it's frustrating for him partly because England don't have... Uh, Billy Vuna Polar in the 
squad now, and he was the sort of kingpin in that position for a while. They've had a few injuries. Uh, Tom Willis, who was seen as someone who could come into the mix, has joined Saracens, and he's he's been injured. So he probably thought there was a you know another opening there, and instead they've recalled Alex Dombrant, the Harlequins captain, who uh, is sort of absolutely a bona fide number eight, a specialist. But Steve Borthwick seemed to have doubts about him in the last Six Nations, but he's played his way back into it. And I just don't think with the balance Steve Borthwick wants in his pack of the size and sort of shape in different positions that Mercer quite fits. And and sadly for him, I just think he could play the house down for Gloucester and it probably just doesn't make any difference, which, you know, is disappointing because he's got X factor. He's got something, you know, he could... The way it's going, he could he could probably go off and qualify to play for someone else because I'm trying to think of many countries he qualifies for, including New Zealand. Yeah. Well, speaking of <laughs> New Zealanders, there's one that's been made uh, been a part of the the training squad, and his name is Ethan Roots. He's Exeter Chiefs. He's played for the Crusaders, Tasman, Markle down here. What what did you make of his inclusion in the squad? Like it was big news over here in, in New Zealand. I, I'll be completely honest here. When Steve Borthwick name-checked him about three weeks ago, there was probably a hell of a lot of quick sort of Wikipedia activity um, mm. while everyone hurriedly got up got up to speed because he, <laughs> he'd sort of gone, he'd gone under the radar. Look, he, he, he sort yep. of moved over from Wales. He's gone under the radar a bit when everyone had gone into sort of World Cup mode pre-season going into the tournament. All of us who sort of cover the game were busy, uh, you know, over in France covering the tournament. And he had sort of... Made his mark within the uh, on the England setup in terms of what he was doing at Exeter, and it was sort of off the radar a bit for everyone else. So when Borthwick name checked him, everyone was a bit taken aback and was sort of scrambling to get up to speed with the backstory and what he's been up to, and had, had seen little bits and pieces in games but didn't really know the story. So it's it's funny. It's one of those where. Steve Borthwick named him. There's a mad scramble for everyone to sort of uh, get to know all about him. And next thing, Exeter put him up for interview and suddenly he's talking about being a cage fighter and whatever. So he's he's a good lad and he's got a tale to tell. And and, and look, they love him. They think, they think he's... Uh, Borthwick told a story that Richard Hill is the England manager who was a World Cup winner in 03 and bat rower, knows a bat rower a mile off. And he just said, he called Borthwick over in the team hotel in France while they were there at the... World Cup, and he showed him a clip of Ethan Roots playing in a Premiership Cup game, which is not the highest quality sort of standard, if you like. It's used as a, a development competition. But he said to Borthwick, just for two minutes, watch this tape, watch this guy. And after two minutes, Borthwick just said, blimey, this bloke's got it. They just love his work rate. They love his aggression, his energy, getting up off the floor, making more tackles, smashing everything in his way. They just really liked him straight away. So they've just kept a close eye on him. And um, once, you know, once he'd been name checked and they'd had their eye on him, that was it. It, it was no surprise that he was named in the squad. But if you'd rewound two months, none of us had the foggiest idea that he was going to be in the mix, to be honest. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, interesting story, that one that's come through. We're look, uh, looking forward to seeing uh, what he does in the white jersey, mate. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, that team operates with now no Owen Farrell off, uh, of course, to France now. So does that mean his England career is done? I think so. I mean, you can't say 100%. I, I, I think so. There, there was a bit of chat of... It was interesting. Rassing put out a statement on Monday night saying he signed. And initially, it sounds like they put out a statement saying three years. Then they hurriedly changed it to two years. 
Um, and obviously, uh, a, a man in his 30s at that stage of his career is quite pertinent, whether it's two or three years. Officially, it's two. Whether or not he has the option to extend, and that might be something to do with it, that it's two years with an option of another one. Um, I would say he's probably done with England. But, you know, it's, it's one of those where if he if he rips it up in, in the top 14 with Racing, surrounded by all their superstars, um, certainly in the Lions context, he might not be quite done. Um, whether they might have a have a think about calling him up or or maybe even calling him out late on the next tour, um, and then it, you would sort of struggle to see him with England again. And they should really they should make a big effort to move on. And it's not nothing against him, but they sort of need a new era, a new identity, uh, a new sort of backline dynamic. And they've been going backwards and forwards with Farrell at 10, Farrell at 12, George Ford at 10 alongside him, ran around his circles with that for so many years that they probably just need to have a new have a new vision and crack on with that, to be honest. So the problem the problem they have without Owen Farrell is that they also have Manu Tulangi injured and we have just discovered about an hour ago that Ollie Lawrence is injured and he was probably going to be playing 12 at the start of the Six Nations. So they don't. I would imagine right now they're sat there with a blank sheet of paper and probably don't have a clue what they're doing. Steve Borthwick has come out and said England need a different mindset. Are you able to elaborate on that? Is, are we going to see a different, expansive England game game um, game style, or what? What do you take from that comment? I would love to say yes. <laughs> we ask him. <laughs> we ask him so often. I mean, I think. I'd, I'd love to sort of show you a clip of every time we ask a question about style, about sort of playing ambition and whatever. I mean, we, we were we were with him yesterday in Dublin for the Six Nations launch. Yet again, he's asked about style and, and, and he does well not to sort of just growl at you in response. Essentially, he wants... Uh, whenever he's pushed on this, he said, I want to get the Twickenham crowd excited because we're we're playing hard, we're fighting, we're battling, we're never giving up. And all those sort of earthy, you know, down-to-earth qualities about guts and determination and so on. And of course, what everyone really means is, are you going to chuck the ball wide and score some tries? And <laughs> I, I, think, I think the reality is no. Um, for, in the short term, I think they will remain quite pragmatic. I think they will start to try and gradually build up layers over time but he's already set his stall out saying they've only got three absolutely full meaningful training sessions in camp before they play their first game of the six nations so i would take that as very obvious code for don't expect us to revolutionize the game in a hurry um so i would imagine you'll see the ball in the air quite a lot again so you know sort of settle in for some of that and um they might occasionally get it out wide and, and play in the final third um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a sudden miraculous overhaul. It will be steady, 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 trying to build it up over time. And it, it, it must be hoped that they do build it up because they've named quite an exciting squad. There's some good guys in there. There's some there's some talent, and there's a lot of guys from Northampton and Bath. And both those clubs are playing brilliant rugby. They're, Northampton are playing the sort of rugby that if it was on TV in New Zealand, New Zealanders would watch it. It's exciting. They're really ripping. It up they're playing really well that is expansive that is creative and fascinating to watch so there's a lot of hope outside of the camp if you like that England embrace some of that but I think it's probably going to be a slow process 
Yeah, we've got the Six Nations kicking off, uh, not this weekend, next weekend. And I you know, looked through Rugby Pass, looked through a bunch of websites, and pretty much every story is this player's out, that player's out, this player's injured, that player's not going to be able to play. Uh, you think that Antoine Dupont, uh, Johnny Sexton now, and Farrell are all missing. Is, is this the most open Six Nations in a while? It is, but I mean, we go around in circles with this. I mean, first of all, yes, there are a lot of players missing, but that is just the sort of the sad reality of the very demanding week after week after week European season, certainly in England and France. I mean, Ireland are very smart at how they rest and manage their players centrally, centrally organised by the union that, you know, again, a bit like the Kiwi system, they got more control over it. So that's probably a smarter way of running it. England and France are at the mercy of how the club game pummels the hell out of their players. I mean, the worst thing is they name squads and then they have to sit there and watch them play champions cup weekends where, the top end games in that competition are pretty ferocious, especially with the South African sides in there too now. Um, and there's always this sort of desperate count through the casualties after the last weekend, and they're all going into camp, you know, with sort of bits hanging off them, um, and 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 everyone hoping they can be patched up in time. The, the crying shame for the Six Nations is no Dupont, and I, I get the bigger picture of. Uh, um, wanting to be part of the sevens, go to the Olympics. But, I mean, the man is an unbelievable genius, as you've all seen. We've all seen for so many years. Like, his performance last weekend, I mean, he's just doing it all the time. I I watched uh, Toulouse play at Harlequins the other week, and he came in to do interviews afterwards. And it, I would say probably only Khaleesi anywhere could match it in terms of it just felt like this sort of absolute superstar with the aura around him was in was in you know everyone's presence if you like and there were people clamoring to look in through the windows to see him and there were masses of people queuing up outside to take pictures and you know it doesn't matter he's a visiting player and what he's done to the home team they just love him they absolutely love it he's a he's a megastar i mean it's just off the chart so that's disappointing for the six nations but it is open uh i would say it's a lot of it immediately is going to hinge on the first game, which is, you know, straight in at the deep end, France against Ireland in, in Marseille. Two teams that are very angry about not, not having the World Cup they thought they were going to have. And that should be amazing. I mean, that's a great way to start the tournament. That that essentially could be the title decider on the first night. So uh, you've got to think it'll be one of those two teams who win it. Wales are bullish. Warren Gatland saying don't write us off, but he's got a, a squad full of children. And um, England are in a bit of a transitional phase. Um, Scotland are a bit unpredictable, but they have Finn Russell who could beat anyone. Um, you know, it's, it is it is quite open, but it's got to be one of France Ireland. So you would think night one, whoever wins that, and France are probably favourites at home, that's probably going to set the set the tone for the whole thing. So hopefully there's still a few twists and turns in it, and there probably always will be. What are our expectations in regards to Ireland? This is an Ireland team that will be without Johnny Sexton. And it's been a very long time since I've been out with Johnny Sexton. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's sort of... The thing about Ireland is that like, it is so significant that he's not there anymore. Like, he's mm-hmm. such a big presence and you know, such a competitive bloke, the orchestrator of this Leinster machine... That, that basically provided the whole backbone of the Ireland team. But they sort of carry on. I mean, they went and absolutely dismantled Leicester at Welford Road last weekend. They are still roaring along 
in the same way. And I think part of the thing about Ireland is it's always been this sense of they've got superstars, but it's all about how they knit them together. They're just really well coached and really efficient, really smart. Really, it's you know they put so much time into developing how they play, and it's so meticulous, so detailed. It it built up through Joe Schmidt, Andy Farrell's taking it on Leinster with Lancaster when he was there. Now Neonaba there. They sort of act in unison with the national team and just provide this sort of production line of really well-drilled combinations of players. And so I think they will sort of be all right because they always have such well, well-drilled combinations that come into camp sort of ready-cooked, if you like. Mm. Um, but it's still interesting. It's still interesting. They have still lost the absolute creative heartbeat there. And there's also a few players who might be reaching that tipping point age-wise, and you wonder if they go over the hill, whether they've got enough behind them. But in general, the Irish system is incredibly healthy. And, and you, I mean, I remember going to Dublin last year when England went there to play Ireland, and they had a schools final on. And there were just thousands and thousands of people at this schools final. And they were all pouring out in the streets around the, the ground in Dublin. And you're just looking at these lads. They all look like they go to the gym. They all look like rugby players. You just think this is the next lot. This is the next lot. And the Dublin school system just churns out players, and they're all brilliant. So, um, so yeah, like I, I, I think they will probably be okay, but it'll still be interesting whether they have a a five percent drop off because they lose that sort of that sort of experience and that magic and just that reassurance of his presence. It'll be interesting, but they should still be right in the mix. They're still a very good side. Chris, just before we let you go, we had a text come through from Brian. He's asked a question um, regarding Owen Farrell. And uh, mm. I know this is going back a bit, but uh, if he's not playing for England, but is still running around playing at top 14 in France, is he eligible for the Lions in 2025? I know I know the coach of the yeah. Lions is probably a bit of a fan. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, uh, what, what I would say on that is, uh, anytime there's any focus on the family link there, it, it becomes so uncomfortable. And you're talking to the person who, of course, raised it when we saw Andy Farrell a couple of weeks ago when he was announced at the, uh, at the, as the Lions head coach, and he didn't like it when I asked him. And, and he, he, basically, he basically told me to move on. And he still has a look about him that, you know, he could kill you if he wanted to. And... Um, and, and and he basically said, uh, there's nothing to see here. And I, I pushed on through and asked him the question anyway about his son's plans and about the Lions and what have you. And in the end, Owen Farrell is eligible. If he is playing, if he is fit, if he's playing well, he is eligible. The The problem is not to do with any policy. The problem is the fact that the French season goes on about 11 and a half of the 12 months of the year. And if the Lions pick a squad to be ready to go to Australia and to get ready together. And for once, they've got the Premiership on side saying you can have our players when you want them rather than them being at war with the Premiership. So all the players based in in the Premiership and the URC sides will all be available for a little training camp before they go. And they might actually be ready for once. So what they can't have is players coming from France bashed up after a playoff campaign and maybe only going out there a week or two after the rest of them and joining a squad, uh, joining a tour that's already partly underway. So I would say if Racing are in the mix to win the title or what have you in France, uh, it probably just counts against Owen Farrell because he can't miss two or three games, then turn up and try and fit in. Now, there'd still be the chance of a late call-up if there's injuries or whatever, but I'd say that might work against him rather than a policy against it. 
Mm. Good stuff, Chris. All right, mate. Hey, listen, thanks very much awesome. for coming on. Uh, appreciate your your input, mate, and uh, and also uh, you keeping uh, keeping true to to Marmite uh, despite what the family says. <laughs> I'll have some tomorrow morning in your honour. Oh, Good great stuff. Good stuff. Chris Foy there from Thanks. the Daily Mail. He's the, uh, the head rugby writer there.